We're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're going to turn to the New Testament letter of 1 Timothy, and we're turning to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, You'll find our reading on page 992 of the Pew Bibles, the Blue Pew Bibles, uh, page 992. Uh, At our morning services recently, we've been looking at 1 Timothy, working our way through this letter, and uh, we're coming this morning to chapter 4. We're going to cover the whole of the chapter this morning. So it's page 992 of the Pew Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 4, reading the whole of the chapter together, and this is God's word to us. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed." Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe." Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress." Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, We're back to this series that we started at the end of April. Uh, It's been a few weeks since we were in 1 Timothy, but from here on, we should have a straight run through the rest of the letter. Uh, you'll find 1 Timothy 4 on page 992 of the Pew Bibles. Our world is changing at an alarming speed. The past 10 years have brought huge changes in the United Kingdom and in Northern Ireland. We've seen the introduction of same-sex marriage, which now feels like just the tip of the iceberg. We've watched with horror as liberal abortion laws have been imposed by Westminster on our country. And then there are all the more recent changes concerning gender and so on. Secularism is on the rise and the fear of the Lord is decreasing. At times I ask myself the question, what kind of world will my children grow up in? And it's a genuine question that many of us probably have. What kind of world will our children experience and know? We, we perhaps don't see or feel many of these societal changes or shifts in the country But what happens in towns and in cities eventually spreads and and sooner or later, 
some of these things will be knocking at our door. All of these changes have been presented to us as progress. It is 2022 after all. Isn't that what we hear said? But what is portrayed as human progress and flourishing by our secular culture is called foolishness in the Bible. In Romans 1, Paul exposes the futility of human wisdom. In verse 22, he says that human beings claiming to be wise became fools. Then in verse 26, he says that God has given them up. In other words, God has handed people over and has given them what they desire along with all of the consequences. One person commenting on Romans 1 has said, the wrath of God can come down as fire and brimstone, but also as the removing of restraint. And that's what we're seeing in our world at the minute. As our society has moved further and further down the road of rejecting biblical Christianity and also any kind of biblical worldview or framework, God's hand of restraint has been lifted. Our world is reaping what it has sowed. The, the world is just being the world though. We shouldn't expect anything better. But the world is also infecting the church. At its most recent General Assembly, the Church of Scotland agreed to allow ministers to marry same-sex couples. 274 members of the Church of Scotland's General Assembly voted in favour, 136 voted against. PCI has broken its formal ties with the Church of Scotland over the issue, but it's an example of the church being the world. They have essentially said that, that, said that culture is right and that scripture is wrong. Claiming to be wise, they have become fools. Our world is changing at an alarming speed. How should we live in a world that is, that is constantly moving the goalposts? How should we live in a world that is move, moving further and further away from its biblical moorings? To a certain extent, 1 Timothy 4 answers that question. It doesn't tell us everything. It doesn't tell us how we should respond to some of the issues we've just mentioned. But it does give us three things to keep our eyes on, three things to keep a close watch on. You'll remember that the point of the letter of 1 Timothy is that Paul is telling the church how to live as the church. In the last chapter, Paul covered household conduct, how the church is to live, and also household confession, what the church is to believe. But Paul, of course, is writing to Timothy, who is a younger minister that he has taken a great interest in. He has invested time and energy in discipling this young man and forming him and, and shaping him for ministry. And what he says repeatedly throughout the letter in different ways is that Timothy is to teach the right things, do the right things, and choose the right people to lead in the church. In chapter four, Paul makes some very personal remarks to Timothy, verses one to six, uh, one to 16, but six to 16 in particular, are verses that specifically apply to ministers and preachers. But there is a sense in which they have application to every believer. We are to become more Christ-like and these verses will, help, will be helpful in taking us in that direction. So our world is changing at an alarming speed. Secularism is on the rise and the fear of the Lord is decreasing. What do we need to do as individuals, as the church? First Timothy 4 tells us to keep a close watch and carry on. It tells us to keep a close watch on what you believe, keep a close watch on how you live, and to keep a close watch for the Saviour. Let's take each of those points in turn and look at this passage. First of all, keep a close watch on what you believe. Look at how Paul starts chapter four. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, 
some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to, to selves, themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Ch- chapter 3 ended with a reference to the church being the pillar and buttress of the truth. And, that, and it finished with that early Christian hymn that told us more about Jesus. Well, chapter 4 opens with a reference to false teaching. It's helpful to remember that the context of this letter from Paul to Timothy was false teaching. Timothy was finding things difficult in ministry, mainly because false teachers were denying what the church confessed. But Paul begins chapter 4 with a very sober promise. We often think about God's promises in a very positive way. There's no doubt there are some wonderful promises in the scriptures. But look at what Paul writes. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. Paul declares that something will happen in later times. Some people will depart from the faith. It's quite a chilling promise, isn't it? In Matthew 24, verse 12, Jesus said something very similar. He said, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. People will depart from the faith. Now, when will this departure from the faith take place? Well, Paul says, in later times. At later times and the last days are the same thing. Paul talks about the last days in 2 Timothy 3. We are in the last days and have been for 2,000 years. The last days began when Jesus ascended into heaven. So basically what Paul says is, in the era of the church, some people will be in the faith, but then they will walk away from the faith. Why? Well, in, this, in part, it has to do with what they believe. There is a heavy focus in this section on false teaching, and Paul gives three causes for it. The first cause of error is demonic. Some people will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Behind the work of the false teachers, Paul sees the work of the evil one. Speaking himself under the influence of the spirit of truth, He declares false teachers to be under the influence of deceiving spirits. Do you know, as 21st century Christians, we don't take this point seriously enough. There is a battle raging for what you believe. The Bible tells us that the devil doesn't just tempt us into sin. He also deceives us and seduces us into error. Think of the Garden of Eden. Think of what happened to Adam and Eve. Uh, Satan says to Eve, did God really say? He's, He's deceiving her into error. Jesus called the evil one a liar and the father of lies. He questions the word of God and the teachings of the apostles. How seriously do we take his influence in our world and in our churches? We should take it more seriously than we do sometimes. The second cause of error is human. People are the cause of error. The devil doesn't usually deceive people directly. Demon-inspired doctrine comes into the world and the church through human agents. Such teaching comes through the insincerity of liars. Paul says there are people who know they are wrong, but keep on teaching. The third cause is moral. False teaching comes through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. The phrase that Paul uses is borrowed from the medical world. He's really saying that the consciences of false teachers are cauterized. Now, I'm not a medic by any stretch of the imagination, but if you cauterize something, 
you will burn the skin or flesh of a, of a wound with a heated instrument in order to stop bleeding or to prevent infection. And Paul is saying that that is what false teaching does as well. It does something similar. It, it deadens us. As we engage in sin, it's as if our it's as if our thoughts are seared. As we move further and further down the wrong road, we become more and more numb to what it is we're doing. We need to keep a close watch on what we believe. There is a battle raging for what you believe. And it's a battle that has three fronts. The devil, people, and your, and your morals. And it's a battle that we can lose by drifting. Paul says that some will depart from the faith. In my limited experience, that ha- happens really subtly. Most people I know who have drifted from the faith didn't wake up one day and, and say, Do you know, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. Instead, they just drifted away. C.S. Lewis warned about the, about the danger of drifting. He said this, he said, If you examined 100 people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away. We need to keep a close watch on what we believe. That will mean reading the Bible ourselves. That will mean joining with others to hear the Bible proclaimed and explained. It'll mean watching out for the work of the evil one, watching out for human agents of false teaching, and also watching our hearts. Which brings us nicely onto our second point. We need to keep a close watch on what we believe, and we need to keep a close watch on how we live. In the middle part of 1 Timothy 4, Paul uses some really helpful sporting pictures to help us understand more of what the Christian faith is all about. Let's read verses 6 to 8 again. Paul says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. These verses are obviously specific to Timothy and his role as the pastor in Ephesus, but they have universal application to us as believers. Paul says that rejecting bad doctrine is essential to a health-giving spiritual diet. Negatively, he wants us to reject the junk food of the false teachers The trash that is coming from them are irreverent, silly myths. But positively, Paul encourages Timothy to put these things before the brothers. Timothy is to be continually feeding himself with the content of the gospel and therefore feeding others as well. And what comes next is the famous command to exercise, the call to train yourself for godliness. And this is a highly expressive phrase. Paul wants us to keep a close watch on how we live and on how we exercise. This call comes to us all, and we can see its wisdom throughout all of life. The discipline of training 10,000 hours enables a select group of athletes to run 100 meters in less than 10 seconds. The discipline of learning another language helps us communicate with people from other countries. The discipline of learning to play and then practicing an instrument helps us to play in the praise group in church. But when it comes to spiritual matters, we hesitate. Discipline sounds bad. Discipline sounds like legalism. But that's mistaken. Legalism is self-centered and discipline is God-centered. A legalistic heart says, 
I will do this thing to gain points with God, to get into God's good, good books. But the disciplined heart says, I will do this thing because I love God and I want to please him. Train yourself for godliness. Keep a close watch on how you live. This call is for all of us who know Christ, regardless of how busy we are or how demanding our life is. Billy Graham told the story of his father-in-law, Nelson Bell, who was a medical missionary. Bell ran a 400-bed hospital in China, sometimes on his own, but he made a point to rise every morning at half four and spend two to three hours in Bible reading. He didn't do any other work in that time. He just read the scriptures every morning And Billy Graham said that he was a walking Bible encyclopedia. Graham said people wondered at the holiness and the greatness in his life. Now that sounds out of reach. We all like our sleep. I like my sleep. But the general point is that unless we discipline ourselves and and set a specific time to read and study the scriptures, it won't happen. And it's not a call to legalism. We We won't gain standing before God by doing certain things. And this looks different for everybody in the room. But we must, for the right reasons, train ourselves in the Word. Train ourselves to listen to its preaching, take notes, follow up the cross-references, read the Bible regularly, listen to audiobooks of the Bible when driving to work, listen to sermons when driving to work. We could go on and on and on. You've got to read and study the Bible for yourself, though. And the benefits of doing some or all of those things are immense. Paul says, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Uh, You'll all know that since the first COVID lockdown, I have been running. I did couch to 5K first of all, and I've, I've never really looked back. I have, however, stupidly signed up to run a half marathon later this year. Haven't really started the training for it, but I need to soon. But bodily training is of some value. I have noticed some changes since I started running, but when compared to physical training, godliness has unlimited benefits both in this world and in the coming world. Godliness now will make us better employees and employers, better spouses, better parents, better members of the church. And godliness is an investment in the future. When our godly lives move into glory, into God's perfect new world, They will bloom like an ever unfolding flower because eternity will be marked by godliness. We will be with Jesus and we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And he is the ultimate expression of godliness. Godliness has unlimited benefits both in this world and in the coming world. So we need to keep a close watch on what we believe. And we also need to keep a close watch on how we live. There's one more thing this passage tells us to do, and it's this. It's to keep a close watch for the Savior. As Paul writes, he writes with eternity in view. There are a couple of phrases that he uses to point us to the eternity that awaits all those who trust and believe in Jesus. He's spoken of how we're in the last times, the last days, the period between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. But look at what he writes in verse 8 and then verse 10. He says, For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the saviour of all people, especially those who believe. Do you see those two key phrases? He speaks about the present life and also the life to come. 
and of how our hope is set on the living God. Paul has a biblical, Christ-centered view of history. He knows that life in this world is simply the introduction to the life that is to come. And in that regard, we should keep a close watch for the Savior. We should be ready for his return. We should be ready to enjoy eternity with him. And as Christians, we can make preparations for eternity by believing and living in the right way. Paul closes chapter 4 with the words of verse 16. This verse contains the phrase that has dominated our points this morning. He says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He's speaking directly to Timothy there. And what he says seems a bit strange on a surface reading. Will Timothy save other people? Isn't that Jesus' job? Of course it is. Paul taught again and again that salvation comes only through God's sovereign mercy and grace. He left us in no doubt. We can't save ourselves. But his point is about perseverance. Those who persevere in life and in doctrine will persevere in salvation. In other words, if you keep a close watch on what you believe, if you keep a close watch on how you live, and if you keep a close watch for the Savior, then you will persevere, confirming your salvation. Timothy was facing difficult times. He was pastoring a church with lots of problems, but he succeeded for the following reasons. He was godly in character. He focused on the word. He exercised his gift. He worked hard and he carefully watched his life and doctrine. And his example is a good one for ministers, but his example has a universal application to us all. Such lives save themselves and then save their hearers. So how is your life? How is your doctrine? Is what you believe matching up with how you're living? You know, some of the things we've thought about this morning might seem a bit distant. You might be thinking, well, that sounds great, Stephen, but there's no way that I'll ever be like that. Do you know, in thinking that, you're dismissing the idea without really engaging with it. And you're also forgetting that Jesus says that he has chosen us so that we might be fruitful. Do you know what the normal tone in church is when it comes to these things? It's this. It's, it's if you're a Christian, if you're saved, that is great. If you're fruitful, if you're keen, even better. But that is not the tone and message of the Bible. It's not that some Christians should be fruitful and others not. I've heard it said that sometimes in churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That, 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 that is not the tone and message of the Bible. It's that we're all called to be fruitful. It's that we're all called to chase after these things. And our world is changing at an alarming speed. How should we live in a world that is constantly moving the goalposts? How should we live in a world that is moving further and further away from its biblical moorings? Well, we should keep a close watch on what we believe, keep a close watch on how we live, and keep a close watch for the Saviour. We're almost done. Let me finish by saying this. This sermon has probably felt as though it's primarily for Christians. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you're probably thinking, what has this been about? What has he been talking about for 20 odd minutes? Well, well, here's what I've been talking about. The right way to live. And by that, I don't mean that you suddenly become good living. I mean living in the way that God wants us to live living in the way that God has set out for our good, living in light of what he has done through his son Jesus and living in light of his word. If 
you're not a Christian, you need to think about your life and what you're investing in. What, what is it that you're living for and working for and striving for? For you, the simple message of 1 Timothy 4 is that if it is anything that isn't the gospel, then it won't last. It really is, as C.T. Studd, the Christian missionary, once put it, two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. If you're not a Christian, then you need to believe in Jesus and set your hope on the living God. And if you are a Christian, then you need to keep a close watch on what you believe, keep a close watch on how you live, and keep a close watch for the Saviour. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this intensely practical letter in your word. We thank you that it is a letter that challenges us and makes us think about what we believe and how we're living for you. And for those of us who have trusted in the Savior, we pray that we would invest ourselves in spiritual things, that we would be good servants of the Lord Jesus, that we would train ourselves in godliness, that we would be disciplined in spiritual disciplines, that we would read the scriptures, pray regularly, and meet with other believers. And Father, we pray that you'd speak to those who haven't yet trusted the Savior. We thank you for the, for the challenge and conviction your word brings. We pray that you might convict those who don't know Jesus today. Help them to see that without him, they have no hope, but that in trusting him, they have set their hope on the living God. Father, thank you for your word to us. Bless it to all of our hearts. And we pray these things in the Savior's name. Amen.